everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Good morning. Good to see you. I mean, I'm excited uh, in the next next few weeks how incredible it's going to be, what opportunity we have um, to really to be able to make an impact in the community. Um, Our our goal, remember, is our goal is not to just, you know, give some candy away and and, and have a good event. Our goal and our mission is is to make, introduce people to Jesus. That's our our mission. Uh, That's why we exist. That's what we're here for. So we try to take um, sort of something in culture and we, we take that and we redeem that um, for, the, for the cause of Jesus and we weaponize that against the enemy. That's really what uh, the egg hunt is all about, right? We, we take something in culture, we turn it into a weapon, and we beat the enemy over the head with it. That's the goal of what we're trying to do. So you being a part of that is, is absolutely huge and it, and, it, and it makes a difference and it makes an impact and it gives us opportunity to share Jesus. That's, that's what it's all about. So um, we're talking about um, seven signs. John said, I'm going to run write down. I'm going to, I'm going to give an account of the life of Jesus. A little bit different than what Matthew wrote, Mark wrote, Luke wrote. Uh, all those three accounts were, are, are very similar accounts of, of, the, of the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus. John said, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to, I want to give you, he didn't call them miracles. He called them signs. He called them, he, they're indicators. They're pointing to who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. And, and so John says, I want to give you these signs as a help in order for for you to know of the evidence or the, or the proof that there is a, a savior for you. There is the son of God. He came for you. He died for your sins. He, death couldn't hold him down. He beat death and he rose from the grave. And, and so Matthew wrote about it. Mark wrote about it. Luke wrote about it. John wrote about it because why? Because these guys saw Jesus die and after Jesus died, they were cowards. They were, they were, they were wimps. They went and hid. And then on the third day, everything changed. Every, something changed. What was it? Well, the, what changed was they said he died they both they they just started boldly proclaiming. They they went from you know being wimps to being bold, you know, and they started boldly saying, "He died." We've seen him. We've seen him. He died. We've seen him. You know, and 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 you know, and you can put your trust in him. That's what they began to say. We've died. He died. We've seen him, and you can put your trust in him. And so, when we talk about faith, we're going to talk about faith a lot over the next you know few weeks. We talk about belief or faith, and and oftentimes when we think about belief or faith, we think about in terms of religion. But uh, but that's not necessarily you know how faith. Faith, faith isn't just, you know, allocated to religion or belief isn't just allocated to, to religion. Um, when it comes to anything in life, faith or belief, um, it's, it comes down to a couple things. It's evidence of what you've seen. So when you believe in something or you have faith in something, it's because you've seen evidence of it working. You've seen evidence of it working. That's, that's true of, of any, anything in life, not just religion. The other thing about faith and belief that isn't necessarily just true about religion is that when it, there's credible sources of what you've heard. And so you, you heard from a credible source that tells you something. So maybe you haven't seen it yet, but you have 
credible sources telling you and, he, and you say, you know what, I believe that. It's like, you know, a teacher in, in school, as you're going through school as a teacher, you know, they, they tell you that eight times eight is 64. And I, and I remember a teacher saying, you know, and, and, and I'll never forget it. And here's the way that she said it. Eight times eight fell on the floor and when it got up, it was 64. Anybody hear that before? So a teacher has heard that before, right? A teacher has heard that before. Eight times eight fell on the floor. When it got up, it was 64. That's I, and I learned by rhymes. That's why I give you rhymes all the time, right? And so um, that's the way that I, that I understood it. And so I, I didn't need to go and figure that eight times eight is 64. I just heard from a credible source, and I believed that that was true. And so over time, this is also true, you know, and you hear, you've said this before, you know, you have to build trust. You have to build trust, right? Trust is, trust is built. Well, same idea, same concept. Belief is built. Belief is built. That whether it's, it's evidence of what you've seen for yourself, and then you just build that belief or build that faith or build that trust, or it's a credible source that you've heard from, and then there from there you have built that trust or built that belief in, in whatever that is. As a matter of fact, the Bible, when the Bible talks about faith, here's the definition. It's not blind faith. It's not, you know, if you just have enough oomph, you know, like you just gotta, you just gotta believe, right? Like, and, and maybe you've said that before. Maybe, you know, a well-intended Christian has said that to you before. They said th- something like, you just need to believe. You just need to believe. The people that brought us the story of Jesus, they never said that. They never said that. You just need to believe. No, no, no. It was, I've got evidence I've got, I know what I've saw, and I'm not the only one that saw it. Many, many, many people saw him alive. And, and so there was, there was and, and so the, the Hebrew writer says, here's what faith is, or belief. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for. It's a certainty. It's not uncertain. It's, you're not unsure. It's, it's certain. It's proof of things not seen. And so John is going, listen, I've got, I want to give you what I call signs as evidence or certainty or proof that when you put your faith in Jesus, that the things that you hope for in that are true. They're real and they can happen for you. Are you with me? So John, what do we know about John? Okay, John says, listen, I want you to know the evidence. I want you to know. What do we know about John? John was a fisherman. John was the son of Zebedee. John had a nickname uh, called the son of thunder. And we talked about that a little bit last week. He, like he wanted fire to come down and, and torch a whole uh, city. And Jesus like, relax, man. Like you, we don't, that's not what we're about here. And so Jesus started calling him and his brother, James, the son of, of thunder. He was known as the beloved. He was known as the beloved. As a matter of fact, when John's writing his um, gospel account, uh, he, was, he would never call himself John. He would always refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, right? The audacity of that. That, right? As the one whom Jesus loved. Did you know, did you know that when you can, you can, you can write and say 
uh, a descriptor about you as well. And you could also say, and it would be recorded. It would be recorded in the scriptures. You could also say that as well. The one whom Jesus loved. You know why that it, that was allowed to stay in the inerrant, inspired Word of God. You know why John could write to the one whom Jesus loved because it was true. It was true. And you can also say that. You can also say that about yourself. I'm the one whom Jesus loves because it's true. And so John was just known as the beloved. He was a fast runner. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, he, he talked about in his gospel how he beat Peter to the tomb and, and saw that it was empty. And he's like, I, he was, he was kind of having like in his writings just sort of, you know, having a little fun with Peter because they knew that many people would write it and they probably laughed about it for, you know, on many occasions, you know, as they're, as they're you know, be, doing the work of God in the ministry. He was, he was a fast runner. He was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness. He saw, his message wasn't, I think, or I don't know, but I, he seems credible. Like His message was, I saw him. He died. He was buried, but now he's alive, and I've seen him. You should trust in that, because anybody, anybody who predicts his own death and resurrection, pulls it off, is a credible. Is credible, right? Is credible. And so John says, "I, I saw. I, and it's not just me. I wasn't the only one. Many, many, many people saw him. And you, that's not something that you keep for yourself. And so John, just like Matthew, just like Mark, you know, through Peter, just like Luke, John said." I want to start writing down, I'm going to start writing down some things that I've seen. And I want to start writing down some things that he said. Because these are important. Because he died. He was buried. And he rose. And I saw him. And many saw him. And so he said, I'm going to write, I'm going to write in my gospel, my, my writing, my book, I'm going to write seven signs. Seven signs. In the header of your, in your Bible, it probably says something along the lines of this. Why the gospel was written. Why the gospel was written. He, John makes it very clear why he wrote this gospel. And here's what he says in, in John 20. So then, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of, of the disciples, which are not written in, the, in this book. John said, I could have written, man, it would have been endless amount of signs and miraculous things and things that Jesus said. I could have, it, could have, it was endless. He says, but I, I didn't have room. I just want to give you just a few. But these, he says, but these have been written, but these have been written so that you may believe. So I, I want to give you evidence. And John's saying, I'm a, I'm a credible source and so is Matthew, and so is Mark, and so is Luke, and so is Paul, and so is Peter, and so is James, the brother of Jesus. He says, listen, I want to give you credible sources so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And he's not just talking about eternal life. He's talking about an abundant life, a fulfilling life, a life of purpose right now. Beginning today. 
Like, that's the kind of life that John goes, listen, I want you to experience that kind of life. And I don't want you to go another day without believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I I don't want you to take another step today without knowing without a doubt that you can believe in his name. And in his name, you can have and experience the fulfillment of life. Who wants that? Anybody? Anybody awake? I know it's snowing out. You're here. You have nowhere. You can't, it's going to take you forever to get home anyway. So let's just, let's just settle in everybody. Let's just settle in. Okay. So here's John's formula. Okay. I got to get moving. I got to get moving. Here's John's formula. There was events. There was events that happened. There was amazing things. These, these were, John says, these were signs. Events happened. Signs. Signs are evidence. Believe in that. Trust in him. That's the formula of John. Events happen. Signs, evidence pointing to the person, the son of God, the savior of the world, life in his name. That's evidence. You can believe in him. You can believe in him and you can put your faith and your trust in him. So last week we looked at the first sign that Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus turned water into wine. That was the first sign. The second sign doesn't rhyme. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come from Judea Judea into Galilee. Now, before we get into um, the second sign of John, we, I have to sort of uh, set the table. I have to kind of give you a little bit of a context, okay? Because Jesus makes a statement that if I don't give you the context, um, it, it sounds like rebuke, but it's not really a rebuke. It's more of a lament that Jesus is feeling. And, 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 and Jesus is trying to make a point, and, and it's sort of the point that I'm going to try to make today. And so, but I have to give you context in order for, b- before we actually get into the second sign, okay? So it's found, the con- just to give you co- us context, it's, it, we're going to pick it up from, in John uh, chapter 4, verse 39. So Jesus has now left Cana, where he turned water into wine. He went down to Jerusalem for Passover. While Jesus was in Jerusalem over Passover, Jesus did some, according to John, Jesus did many signs. He did miraculous things that, that many people believed in him, okay? When he left Jerusalem, he was heading back towards Galilee. And as he was going back towards Galilee, he stopped off through Samaria and he, and he at, a, at a particular spot in Samaria, he stopped off at a well and had a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, right? Okay, so you know that, that story. Jesus has a conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he starts to begin to tell her, you know, that she's there drawing water, and, you know, at the time when most don't draw water, and, 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 and he, Jesus is beginning to tell some, some, you know, some things about her life that she thought, 
man, I don't want really a lot of people to know about. And she was surprised that he knew everything about her. And, and he, he was telling her, like, listen, the water that you draw from here, you'll thirst again. But the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. That you, the life that you can have, this is what John is trying to say, the life that you can have when you draw from the water of Jesus, you will always be fulfilled. You will always be satisfied. Nothing in this world, no water that you can draw from from this world will satisfy and give you meaning or purpose like Jesus. No financial well, no, no habit well, no hobby well, no career well, no substance abuse well. None of those things will ever, ever satisfy. The only thing that satisfies is the living water of Jesus. And so Jesus told her that. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. Why? Because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. Scandalous things, right? If you can remember the story. And so she's beginning to tell us, she went back to her town, Sikar, and she went there and she starts telling everybody, I, I, I found a man and he told me everything about me and he's the Christ. He even said himself that he was truly the son of God. So then it says in verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. And then look what it says in verse 41. Many more believed because of his word. Many more believed. So at first they believed because of her word, because of her testimony. And now they're experiencing Jesus for themselves. And they're, they're seeing Jesus and they're listening to Jesus. And many more believe because of what he, he said, because of his word. And then they even said this. This is a little bit rude, but. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one truly is the savior of the world. Like they're like, woman, thank you for introducing us to Jesus. But now we know Jesus personally for ourselves. And, and you don't, that's your personal relationship you have with Jesus. But now I have my own personal relationship with Jesus. And it's not even your testimony that we need anymore. I have my own story. Are you with me? Anybody ever like introduce you? Anybody remember the person that brought you to Jesus? And, and it was their story and it was their life that was changed. And you're like, maybe I should experience that. Maybe I should have that for myself. And then you found that for you. And you don't need that friend or you don't need that family member to tell you anything else. Because why? Because you have experienced him for yourself. And it says in verse 43, after two days, he departed from there for Galilee, which is where he was heading. Now, verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So what Jesus is saying is like, I'm going back to my own town, my own country, my own place where I sort of grew up. And, and they, don't, they don't really recognize me 
as the son of God. They, they, they remember me as little five-year-old Jesus. They remember me as 12-year-old Jesus. They remember me as 18-year-old Jesus, right? They remember that, my, that part of me, that life of me. And so they, there's just no honor for me in my own country. So then it says in verse 45, for when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him only because, this is important, only because they had seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. So, first thing, the Samaritans believed because of what he said. They believed in, his test, in the testimony. They, they believed in the testimony of the woman who said, he told me everything about me. And they experienced him for themselves and they believed his word and they didn't see any sign. They didn't see him do any miracle. They just believed what he said and they saw nothing. But the Galileans, they only believed because of what he could give. And so, here we pick it up in the second sign, giving us context. Samaritans believed because of what he said. The Galileans believed because of what he could give. Here's verse 46. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee. Cana of Galilee, we, we recognize that, where he had made water into wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, the distance between Cana and Capernaum was about 20 miles. And, and now we see a royal official. A royal official, was he was probably someone who was a Jewish aristocrat. And he was somebody who was uh, in the, you know, the, the council of, of, of Herod, the King Herod, uh, Herod uh, uh, Antipas. And, and he was just somebody that had a prominent role. He, he, he had probably a lot of privilege. He had a lot of wealth. You know, he, he had a lot of pride. And so here we also know that he was married. He also was married, but, you know, we assume anyways, because his son was sick at, at Capernaum. And so his Probably what happened is, is that here's this royal official who with all of his authority and all of his prominence and all of his privilege and all of his wealth and all of his pride that he had from this particular job, his wife probably told him, hey, we've heard some things that Jesus can do. We've exhausted all of our resources trying to make our son better and we can't, but maybe he can and so a good wife told her husband, go and get that man. Can you see it, women, ladies, wives? You go and you get that guy and you get him to come here. 20 miles. So they didn't have cars back then, and you know that. And so they began their journey. I don't know, maybe they walked, maybe they had chariots, horses, who knows. But they began the journey 20 miles to catch up with Jesus, the royal fisher does, and all of his men that were with him. They catch up to Jesus, and he tells them this. He says, he says my son is six, verse 47. He says this. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and began asking him to come down and heal Heal his son, for he was at the point of death. 
This is interesting to me. Isn't it, a, isn't it interesting that in spite of his different points of view on faith, religion, his different points of view on life, his, his position as a royal official and his pride that came along with that, the wealth and the prominence, all of that, here's, here's what's, all of that was put to the side when it came down to a very intimate personal matter with his family. It's interesting. And so he set aside all of his prominence and wealth and pride and he goes and he seeks and he hears that Jesus is coming from Judea into Galilee and he went and began asking him to come and to heal his son for he was at the point of death. And here's the statement that Jesus makes to him. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people, now he's not just talking to this royal official. He's not just talking to this nobleman. He's talking to all the people because at this point, Jesus has gathered a big crowd. And he's talking to all the people. He's saying, listen, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. You remember the Samaritans? They saw no signs. They saw no wonders. They just experienced Jesus personally. And they believed him. They followed him, not based on what he could give or what he could do, but based on what he said. And it started with the testimony of the woman, and then they experienced it for themselves. But the Galileans, they needed to see a sign. They needed to see a sign. And here's what we also know. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. But Jesus is saying, I want us to take another step forward in our faith. I don't want you just to believe because of what I can always give. I don't want you to be a follower of me because of what I can do for you. I want you to follow me for who I am, who I am. You see, consumer Christians seek signs. Consumer Christians seek signs. Don't be a consumer Christian. Don't be a consumer Christian because here's what consumer Christians are, okay? Consumer Christians have a me first mentality. Me first mentality. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? Listen, I've been a part of church world for a long time. I've been in, over, in ministry and church ministry for over 20 years. And I'm telling you, I, I, like 10, 15 years ago, um, I was a part of a church, large church, uh, hundreds, of, hundreds of people attended this church. And um, my pastor was a, he was a, a incredible communicator, a very dynamic speaker, very, you know, uh, in, 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 you know encouraging, very uh, inspirational. And, and so at times, at times he was on vacation or away or whatever, and, and we would fill in, I, 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 we would fill in. And so at, at times people would walk in and I would kind of be standing out in the lobby, just similar to what I you know, normally do here. And I'd be sort of standing out in the lobby. And after a while, people would kind of get a sense that Pastor Jim, which is what his name, Pastor Jim is not here. Pastor Jim is not here. And so people would kind of meander up to me and say, is Pastor Jim here? 
And I would be like, no. And they'd be like, ah. <laughs> this happened many times. <sighs> and they're like, well, who's preaching? I'm like, me. They're like, ah. I would see them leave. This is true. Not all the time, but I would see them leave. This is a me first mentality. Like, what can you do for me? What can you say? And I, I, this is also true. This has happened here on, on, on a couple different occasions. I'm looking around the room. No, none of you have said this, so I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you, but I'm just warning you that I'm looking for this. So, I, so sometimes, sometimes people will walk in and go, listen, Pastor, um, I invited somebody today. Are you on your game? <laughs> you, uh, you got any funny stories? What's the prop situation? Are you, you got props today? You're much, you're much, de- you're much better with props. If I, if I don't see props, man. It, and, then, and then they, before they walk in the door, they're like, don't go long. You know, it's like... This is consumer Christianity. This is, what are you going to do for me? How is this going to meet my needs? How is this going to, you know, how is this going to take care of what I have to take care of when it, when it comes to my life? How is this going to pay off for me in the end? This is consumer Christianity. This is the kind of Christianity that seeks signs. I've got to see it to believe it. I got to experience it to know it. I got to feel it in order for it to be real. And, and, and the sad thing is, is that a big part of Christianity today is all about emotional feeling, see it, signs, wonders. It's not real unless I feel it. It's not, you know, I need to see it. And Jesus is going, come on, we've got to move past that. We've got to move past that. Or it's a marketplace mentality. It's a marketplace mentality. I got to find the church. I got to find the church. Is it not too small? I don't want it too small. It's like buying a car, not too small. I don't want a big car. I don't want it to be too big. I got to have a sort of a midsize, right? We try to find, it's like a restaurant that we go to. Like, what do I feel like today? Do I want church fast food style? Do I want it fast casual style? Do I want church fine dining? Like, what, and this is the mentality that we have. It's a marketplace mentality. You're like, isn't that why you call it Marketplace Church? No, it's called Market Street Church. This is a common mistake that people make. Oh, you go, you're the pastor at Marketplace. No, it's called Market Street, but I understand why you. But it's a mentality. Listen, you know what, you know what the pandemic has created? Pandemic has created a DoorDash church mentality. Like, I, I'm waiting, I'm still waiting for people to call me up and go, okay, can you just leave your sermon notes and a couple song selections and a bulletin in a bag at the doorstep? <laughs> like, I'm waiting for, like, this is a mentality that we have. It's a consumer Christian mentality. They seek signs. And Jesus is going, come on. Let's not just be people that are Christians who are sign seekers, Christians who are consumers. That it's all about me first. And it's all about marketplace mentality. 
And look at, it says next in verse 49. The royal official said to him, Sir, sir, come down before my child dies. This, this word, sir, is, is a powerful word. The word, sir, is, he's, now, he's now recognizing who Jesus is. He got the message when Jesus said, all, all you people do is believe because of what you can see or feel or what I can do pragmatically for you. You're not interested in theologically. You're interested in pragmatically. You only care about what it offers for you. And, and this guy's now getting it. He, he's saying, listen, sir, sir. In other words, he's saying, Lord, Lord, or you have authority over everything. Lord, you're in charge and I'm not. You're the boss and I'm not. Oh, I may have a, 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 be, I may be an official in a royal, royal setting, but listen, you are truly the king of kings. This is what he was saying to Jesus. And you know what happens? Compliant Christians, they don't seek a sign. They seek a savior. Compliant Christians say, you're in charge of my life, not me. It's not about me first mentality. God, it's about you. It's not what I want, God. It's what you want. I am not in charge here, God. You are in charge of my life. And it's being a compliant Jesus follower who seeks a savior for who he is. This is so important. For who he is, not for what he can always give you. Let's not be a consumer Christian. Let's be a compliant one who recognizes where our authority is. And he did. And look what Jesus says to him. Jesus said to him, go. Your son is alive. Now, this guy came to Jesus. In his mind, he had two options. He had two options. When I come to him, either A, he says, yes, I'm coming with you. Or B, he says, no, I'm not coming. And my son dies. He, has two, he thinks he has two options. But Jesus gives him a third option. He gives him a third option. And the third option that Jesus gives him is, I'm not going. You are going to go, but I'm not going to go. But your son will still live. Aren't you glad that we have a God who has more options than we can even think up of? Come on, everybody. Aren't you glad that there's more options in your life than you can even think of? That's what Jesus says. Listen, listen. And this guy's going, listen, I got either. He says yes or no. That, those are my two options. He says yes or no. 
And I guess the guy could have said, well, I got some guys with me. Maybe we can cap, you know, you know, take them and take them home, you know, make them go home with me. But that, listen, Jesus is listening. I, you're going to go. I'm not going to go. But your son will still live. Look what he says. Look what he sa- John says next. The man believed the word. You know what he didn't see? He didn't see his son getting well. But what he did have, he had faith in what Jesus said without seeing what Jesus did, before seeing what Jesus can do, it's having faith in the word of Jesus and the promises of Jesus. This man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went home. What faith. The story wraps up this way. It says this. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was alive. Verse 52. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The seventh hour is is around one o'clock. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son is alive and he himself believed and his entire household believed. Now, a couple things. A couple things quickly and I'll be done. Number one, confident faith, confident faith is not by sight. Confident faith is not based on what you can see. Maybe you've heard somebody say this before and they're quoting 2 Corinthians 5, 7 by saying this, for we walk by faith, not by sight, right? For we walk by faith, not by sight. That our walk is the kind of walk that Jesus says, listen, I don't, you may not be able to see everything. You may not be able to see what I'm doing, but I just want you to know I'm still working. I'm still working. And you keep walking and you keep believing that God is in charge. He has authority over everything. And you can have confidence in the fact that he loves you, that he knows you, that he's for you, that he believes in you, that he's got a better plan for you than you have for yourself, that there is a purpose, that there's a story, that there's redemption, that there's renewal, that there's peace, that there's joy, that there's goodness, that there's grace, that there's forgiveness. Come on, you can walk by faith. You say, I don't always feel it and I don't always see it. 
but you can have confidence in the word of Jesus. And you can walk in that confidence. And when you walk in that confidence, you are walking by faith, not by sight. This nobleman had to walk home just believing in what Jesus said he would do. It's walk by faith, not by sight. Skip to those images, will you? Could you skip to those for me? Just for time's sake. So, um, oh yeah, let me say this. This is good. Okay. It is good. This is the word of God, everybody. This is not my words. This is God's words, right? So remember when after Jesus resurrected and Thomas still doubted and he, and he got the, the, the name, the, the nickname Doubting Thomas, right? He was still doubting. They were like, we've seen him, we've seen him. And you're like, unless I can touch the holes in his hand, blah, blah, blah. Right, 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 right. Here's what Jesus said to Thomas. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you now believed? Like, like Jesus shows up to Thomas and is like, Jesus is like, yeah, the holes in my hand. Yeah, the side. Yeah, you can, yeah, feel around, feel around. He's like, but because you've seen me, you now believe. But then look what Jesus says next. And he's talking to us. He's talking to you and me. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Right? He's talking to us. Like, you and I weren't there when he died on a cross. You and I weren't there when he rose from the grave. You and I weren't there when the disciples and those who were eyewitnesses saw Jesus alive. But listen, we are blessed because we believe the testimony of people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, and so on and so forth. Listen, we believe, why? Because we didn't see it, but our confidence, our confidence is in the credibility of the sources who bring us the story of Jesus. And Jesus is going, blessed are they? Go back. Blessed are they who did not see, yet believed. That's confident faith. Confident faith is not by seeing. It's by believing in the credible testimony of those who bring us the story of Jesus. Now, confident faith is knowing that God sees. Confident faith is knowing that God sees. There's a, there's a word uh, that, that theologians use. It's the word uh, imminence, imminence. And it means all of God is fully present in all places, past, present, and future. And the f- confident faith is you may not see it, but you're gonna continue to walk in the confidence knowing that God sees you. Okay? Come on. God sees you right now. Come on. 
God sees you. He's with you. He's for you. Like, it, wherever in the, in the darkest places, in the quietness of your, of your night, in the, in the, in the places of your, of your story that you're going, I don't know what is going to be the end of this. I don't know how the solution is going to come about. But listen, God is saying to you right now, he sees you. He sees you. And he is fully present in all places, wherever you're at, past, present, future, his eyes are on you. I don't have time to get into the full story of Job, but do you know the story of Job? Here's a guy who has only seen calamity and hurt and pain and struggle. But look what he says. Look what he says. For his eyes are upon the ways of a person and he sees all his steps. His eyes are on you and he sees every step that you take. Proverbs says it this way. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, every place. Guys, he's watching evil and he's watching good and he sees, he sees you. He sees you. I, I, didn't, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you wanna join with me, if you wanna open your digital Bible or a Bible that you brought with you, I'll, let's read Psalm 139. Let's read one Psalm 139. I'll read it to you. You don't even have to read it. I'll read it to you. But if you want to follow along, I, I, just, I'm this, I, I, just, I, I just feel like this is so important right now in this moment. And here's what Psalm 139 says. Come on. And, I, and if you don't want to follow along, if you just want to absorb this and take this in, I would even recommend that. Take this in. Take this in and, 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 and believe this. Have this confidence knowing this is true about you. Not because you always see it. Not because you always feel it. Because of what the word of God says. And having confidence in what the word of God says about you. Are you ready? Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed, enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I, if I make my bed in shoal, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of, of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hands will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. 
If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you. I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I will give thanks to you. For, you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully raw in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, when I awake, I am still with you. Psalm 139, the word of the Lord. Believe it. It's true. It's true about you. God, we walk in the confidence, in the confident faith of believing your word. Not in me first mentality or marketplace mentality. Not in what it can give to me or what it can do for me, but in who you are. And who you are. And what you've already, you've already given us signs. You've already shown us wonders. Through the testimony, through the word of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Paul, Peter, and many others. You've already shown us what you can do. For us, we're blessed when we believe even when we don't see. Even when we don't see, we trust you. And we know, I pray God, we know that you see us in every place, in our past, in our present, and in our future. You walk with us. So we're gonna trust in you with all of our heart. And we're not going to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, in all of our steps, we're going to trust you. We're going to acknowledge 
you. In Jesus' name, amen.